This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. I especially want to hear from 905ers, if you will. Okay, Not to uh, you know put you in, in demographic boxes, but the 416 is thought of as Toronto proper, and the 905 is considered the suburbs. Tell me why the Toronto mayor vote matters to you, especially if you don't have a vote. If you have one, you can give me that. But tell me why it matters who's mayor and how frustrating it may be these next three months and the last month or so without one. Jennifer McKelvey's doing the best she can. But you know when somebody is interim. You know when somebody is temporary. You know when somebody is quote-unquote filling in. You're like, where's the other person, right? It it could be like that with a restaurant manager. Hey, when when we go away, sometimes you like the other guy or gal better, and sometimes you, you want us back. That's okay, too. But why does the next Toronto mayor matter to you so much? And I'll tell you why I'm asking this, because I find the suburbs are so into this race. And the suburbanites are telling people who live in the city who get a vote, vote for this person, vote for that person. You pretty much know who the candidates are. Bylaw, Matlow, Saunders, Fury, Hunter, Bradford. Chloe Brown's on the list too. I think Chloe would tell you she's not going to get elected, but I also think politics is better with Chloe Brown in it. These debates will be better with Chloe Brown in it. And I'd lo- again, love to hear from people who don't have a vote who care, because you always do. Do you know how many people care who the U.S. president is that live here? There's people that won't even travel to the United States and didn't when Donald Trump was president. There's people here that you know may go all the time and they're enraged that Joe Biden's the president or they hated Bill Clinton or they hated George W. Bush. So even when you don't get a vote, you care. And I'm going to tell you, living in the States for 10 years, I didn't get a vote. I wasn't a citizen. I had a, I had a landed immigrant visa. Um, but I cared who president was. <laughs> I, I moved there and for a year, normal normalcy, then Bush-Gore election, a lot of controversy, the next year 9-11, and then all these things matter. All these things get really amplified. Tell me why it matters in the suburbs who the Toronto mayor is. Because I don't know if Toronto um, people in the city proper care who the mayor of Mississauga is or care who the mayor of Oshawa is or care who Brampton's mayor is. It's a little more insular effect, isn't it, when it comes to the city of Toronto? Um, All right, let's get to the phones because they are uh, coming in fast and furious. I want to leave this thought with you for the weekend, why it matters to somebody living in the suburbs who the mayor of Toronto is. And you don't get a vote and you don't get a say and you don't pay those those taxes. But Toronto matters to all of us. We can live an hour and a half away from Toronto and it matters. Corey, you're on 640 Toronto, Toronto Today. Thanks for the phone call. Go right ahead. Hi there. Yeah, um, I just think that it really matters because... A lot of 905ers and people in the suburbs commute into Toronto for work, and we spend a lot of time after work there, too, uh, celebrating events and holidays. So it, it really kind of matters what kind of city that we're going into with its safety. I know a lot of mm-hmm. people in the suburbs are getting more and more afraid of Toronto and its, and its safety. Also, Toronto is a, a trendsetter, you know what I mean? We look to Toronto to kind of, you know, you guys are... Torontonians are kind of the trendsetters for the way different laws should be handled. You know, if if we can manage 8 million people in the city, then we kind of look to them to handle, you know, more smaller populous 
uh, region. Well, I think, you, Corey, you nailed it. Really smart um, uh, putting that out there because it matters to the 905ers because they come in and out of it all the time, but it matters for tourism. And you and I know cities are kind of wor- word of mouth. Even Americans, what's Chicago? Like somebody will give you a one. It's great. It's terrible. It's safe. It's dangerous. It, like the New York, like we'll always do that with cities. And right now, I, I worry we're getting a little more bad word of mouth than good. And some of it's deserved because we got to clean some stuff up. Yeah, definitely. Most definitely. And uh, the thing with the, the TTC and everything, it's just like, come on, we got to get a hold of it. And the repeat offenders, I mean, I can see people, I live on Bloor Street now, mm-hmm. and um, and just in front of my house is just uh, homeless people. And every day I come out and there's just garbage everywhere. And I see them getting uh, arrested, but I see these same people the next day messing up the streets, knocking over trash. Uh, it's just ridiculous. And you got every right to say that. I, I will always defend your right. Do not. I always say this. Don't apologize for where you came from. Don't apologize for where you live. Okay. And but but your point is, how do we help people get out of the circumstances they're in? People don't want to be homeless. Nobody chooses it. But what are the incentives we can utilize to get them out? And then it gets to be a different story, doesn't it? There's homeless who economic circumstances. Bad scenario. We talked to a brilliant, brilliant comeback story of a homeless person who was on the street for, what, 15 years. And now he's not. But he kicked a, kicked a drug habit. He kicked a fentanyl habit. He kicked a, uh, an opioid habit. And that's a different story from, from the violent psychopath from, uh, from, from Saturday night. That's a different story. One more on this before we break. 416-870-6400 our number. Richard, I want to get you on. Go right ahead. Well, hi. Uh, I think we need a mayor that uh, stands up and says, listen, uh, we have to replace the uh, low birth rate. We have to replace uh, the people that die uh, to maintain the population. But why do we have to double the population? We have a, a, a housing shortage and uh, we have people that really need housing now. So bring people in to uh, maintain all these uh, levels of, mm. but we don't need to, uh, in a world that's overpopulated, we don't have to make our city into a sardine can of more and more people. Who's that, I think if they had a referendum and a healthy discussion, I think, uh, and let the people decide, not developers and uh, vested interests. What sort of city do you want to yeah. live in? Yeah, and, that- uh, this is uh, what we really need. And I think the, the people in a democracy, you know, one day, every election, they be, the well- power shifts to the public. And I think they'd say, listen, uh, we don't mind yeah. replacing the people that uh, we need to be replaced, but we don't need to add to double the population and uh, use uh, every square inch. I got gotcha. you. I, I, I got gotcha. you. I, I got a blast. There's a call to make there, isn't there? Like I, I just asked Jason Chapman as we were chatting earlier about poverty that, you know, whether is Toronto getting oversold as come here, start from nothing or very little. Don't worry. It'll be OK. Will it? I don't know. I, I don't know if that's true. If you don't have a skill, if you don't have a trade, if you don't have a college degree, I'm not saying we can't have you. But why would we start you in the most exp- in the most expensive city, in the most expensive area of that city to live in? Who are we helping by that? Not them. So we got to. Do we want to be honest with them or do we not? Lori Ann, go right ahead. I just want to say that born and raised in the 905, went to school in Toronto and travel in four times a week into the city. I'm even further now actually in Niagara region. So the transit matters. The infrastructure matters. I'm getting ready to send my kids off to university and their top choice is Toronto, secretly, not secretly. I'm hoping we can land somewhere else because I fear for them. I fear for them taking the transit. If I put them in a car, then I'm worried about the roads, the traffic. Are they going to be on time? What is the hey, parking? 
Lorian, let's 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 go matter. let's go to your origin. Where did you go to? Did you go to university? You meant University of College in Toronto. Yeah, went to. I'm out of Burlington originally. I'm in Niagara Region now, so very very different than what the city has always looked like. But I feel as though the city has been my home far more than these two regions have been. Went to uh, the U- York University, uh, so a little bit farther up into town. Never been a really a safe area. Um, yeah. And I work downtown now, and I commute. I've commuted in with transit for the past 15 years. And truth be told, over the past year, year and a half, I've actually moved to driving in because transit doesn't feel good to me anymore. I don't feel safe coming in. Certainly don't feel safe coming out at 10 or 11 if we've had an after-work event. Uh, so I drive in. The roads are terrible. We're an organization that brings people in from the States, and our reputation matters. But our reputation matters, and it is collaborative with, with what the city puts out, right? So if the streets are a mess and we're bringing in our counterparts from, from the States, embarrassing it's embarrassing it's a it's a big problem um and you can imagine so Lorianne, i mean I, I lived in michigan but you would take people they'd say let's go do something in downtown detroit and i'd hear the comments and, and i'd understand and when you lived in toronto there were always time there's always time and place decisions you make right where to go do i go there alone what time of day or night is it all, all those things factor in but it's different now. That's not what this is, is, is using using a, a, you know, a somewhat of a sensibility of am I in the wrong place at the wrong time? Now it feels like yeah. it happened. It's we're all in the wrong place at the wrong time on the TTC or on our streets. Yeah. When I was in university, it was watch this corner. Don't go to that corner. Stay away from that neighborhood. Totally. And that was the case when I was at York University up there. But now that I'm thinking about sending my kids to something like U of T, a an amazing place to be i worry that's not my number one choice for the kids and unfortunately it's not because of the reputation of the of the school which i want them to be at the reputation of the city and what they're going to experience for the next four four or six years while they're there i'll tell you what i'll tell you what you nailed it how how close are your kids to going mine's a year and a half away my oldest yeah, yeah grade 10 so here's what i'd like to see and i bet you would too is maybe some of the people running these universities should say something and say, we're going to lose enrollment. We're going to lose big brains, like young men, young women that could make our schools better because there's a cost of living factor right away, Lorianne. But even if we could afford it, is my kids safe? So we're not checking a lot of the right boxes here. And I bet you, U of T, TMU, and yeah, York, where you're an alumnus of, they're going to feel it with those numbers. And numbers mean money. And they better say something now because in two years, it's way too late. People have made their calls already. And I don't know what's worse, send them there to live in residence and have all the great experience of living in the city or keep him home and ask him to take transit every day. What's worse? I hope he doesn't go to, I hope he doesn't choose Toronto, truth be told, as a parent. Yeah, I know. I know. My kids got, got kind of eyes on Toronto right now. And we talk about Dalhousie and we talk about St. Mary's. And I'm like, but you haven't seen the camp. He just thinks it's too far away from mom and dad. And, um, and he'll be more lonely. And I'm like, well, well, thanks for you. Thanks for the phone call. I really appreciate the conversation. Glad you're listening. Again, someone probably with the TTC is probably not glad you're driving. There's a textbook example of someone saying, "I'm not feeling it anymore." And 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 why should somebody be able to say to Lori Ann, "Well, you're doing the wrong. You need to support transit." Here's what I'm seeing. This is all we've all talked about a jigsaw puzzle for the last two or three weeks on this show, um, and I'm sure the other shows have too. I listen to all the other shows. I got so much respect for my colleagues. I'm sure they've all brought it up, but. All we're talking about is a jigsaw puzzle. Some of the people that want you to stop driving cars are, aren't the people that, that seem to want, want safer streets or a safer TTC. 
They're like, get your car off the road, get on public transit. Okay, what would you like to do to make us safer? Anything to do with homeless? No, 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 of course not. Do you leave those people alone? You let them do what they want. Okay, anything that would make us feel safer with police? Oh, the police, of course not. So so you're pro-people living in tents and parks or in front of hotels. You're you're anti-putting more safety measures on the TTC, and you're yelling at me for driving my car. I mean, there's words, right? There's words. You can't be all three of those things and not be a giant hypocrite. You can't. I'll call out my own hypocrisy. I know. I know. It stares me in the face sometimes. But you can't want people to take transit and then want to not make it safer and then say, hey, people have dignity. Well, no, they don't have dignity. You're not allowing them to regain their dignity by letting them do what they want, when they want, where they want, with who they want. It's dangerous. It's dangerous to live in a freaking tent. It's dangerous to sleep over a subway grate. And when we try and help those people, again, some of the people do great work. They try and get them into shelters. We need all the help we can get. All of those things. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. This is really something. We all have <laughs> our uh, <laughs> we all have our conflicts and we all have our probably personal patronage appointments, if you will, in our own lives. But not in the federal government. The sister-in-law of Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominic LeBlanc, a very prominent MP in the Trudeau government, the sister-in-law, his wife's sister, is a new (laughs) interim ethics commissioner. I'm going to say it again. Interim ethics commissioner. And Dominic LeBlanc actually ran afoul of ethics rules as fisheries minister. We know. Yes. This is so this is sort of once bitten, twice shy. This happened back in 2018. We've seen Mary Ng had an ethics rule problem. Justin Trudeau's violated ethics rules twice. Once the Aga Khan vacation in the Bahamas, the other, the Jody Wilson Raybould yes. scenario. And, and based on that, LeBlanc should know better. He's seeing what's happening to those around him. So this is his second rodeo doing this. In 2018, uh, he was the fisheries minister, and he approved a license to harvest Arctic surf clam. And this is for a company that employed his wife's first cousin. So obviously he holds his wife's family in very high regard. Um, he seems to be surrounding himself with all of them in these unethical ways. What would you, let me ask you this. Yeah. If this, if, if let's say if you were LeBlanc and something unethical happened with your sister-in-law, I don't know about you, but how likely is someone to report it? Like wh- how far do you go down this? There is just, we shouldn't even have to question that. We shouldn't even have to think about that. We shouldn't even be having this conversation. How does it get this far that your sister-in-law that's you, right. Is, no, Greg, how does how does this overlooked? I, I, I don't have a clue. I, I don't have a clue. And I, I don't know what what's the line. Could you take a long time? This is where we're at with with David Johnston. You're like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This guy is a family friend. If anybody was described as a family friend in the public sphere, Sheep, I would think that person is going to get barbecued if they if they acquit me of of any wrongdoing. Yes. You couldn't have that scenario. A prosecutor, if I, was, if I was charged with a crime, the prosecutor couldn't be a relative or a family friend. And I know that's not exactly what the rapporteur is supposed to do. Like, I, I gave you that <laughs> example last night. My brother-in-law in New York State, brilliant guy. He's worked in the media. He's phenomenal. But I know for public money, I can't I can't no, hire him. You can't. No, absolutely not. I could, I could start a business with him. You and your husband could start a business. You could hire your kid. 
All those things but do not happen. not with public money. You're not right. Not with public money. So Meltine Richal, who is his sister-in-law, she it's known that she's worked for the ethics commissioner's office for 10 years, and she was engaged when Stephen Harper was in government. So, I mean, she's got the experience, but regardless uh, of that, you cannot work together in this capacity with public money. Yeah. Think how many conversations probably do happen in the public sphere where you're like, I know you'd be great at this. But you sort of have an understanding, like, you know I can't bring you on. And the person's like, I know. And by the way, let, <laughs> I, I don't know what that I don't right. I don't know what the percentage is. Some of this is LeBlanc. Some of this is the sister-in-law. She has to know to turn this down. She yeah. has to know she can't of all the things that can happen, she can't work for her brother-in-law at As this particular point in time. Commissioner. A, right. Right. <laughs> Like, come on. Yeah, you're not doing yard work. You, you, you know, you're not putting in a swimming pool. You're not like, like there's, I'm sure there's Maybe, lots. You know. <laughs> What's his name? Um, Mayor of Vaughn. His uh, swimming pool. Remember his swimming pool fiasco? Stephen Del Duca. Yes. His, you don't remember that? I, I, yeah, I do. Before he was liberal <laughs> leader. Right. Yes. It, it ended up being, uh, being a deal. Um, you can weigh in on text via this 416-870-64. I know this is where it's at. People who don't like the Trudeau liberals will just say, you see, they don't get it and they don't care that, that they don't get it. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Uh, of course, it would make it a more fascinating race if our next guest was in. But I think she likes her current job. Uh, she, whoa, that, that laugh. Maybe we'll go there. Minister of Women and Gender <laughs> Equality and Youth of Canada and Liberal MP Marcy Ian. Call the dogs off right now. Call the dog. Tell our listeners you are not a candidate for the mayor of Toronto. As much as you, as much as some people would like you to be, Marcy. First and foremost, good morning, <laughs> and it's always great to hear your voice. And you are absolutely correct. I love my job. I, I think we're making a, a bit of impact. And and no, I'm not running. But you know what? Thanks for the consideration because I've I've heard from from some people. Well, I'm I'm people. also speaking to somebody who who ran in. You have the unique distinction of running in two elections in eleven months, and you're like, can yeah. I not for a little while? Can I can I love meeting constituents? I'm sure you do, but can I can I breathe a little bit and and try and do my job for better or worse? Can I do that? Yeah, you know what? It's uh, Greg. Listen, we we talked about uh, my story, my journey before, and I didn't even think I'd be here. Mm-hmm. So now that now that I am, it is about concentrating on this, and I do love it so much. Although I love the city of Toronto, it's my it's my hometown, but I do love it so much, and and I think um, this is where I need to be, where our team needs to be. Since you say that, um, you would have interviewed John Tory several times in your uh, in your previous uh, media life. Um, the news was shocking to all of us. But Toronto does get get somewhat of a, of a do over here. Again, I'll say for better or worse. What kind of mayor yeah. does your city, our city need in on June 26th when we go vote? We need somebody that that gets Toronto. Uh, we need somebody that's going to, you know, address the issues of this city. And of course, work in a fulsome way with uh, provincial and federal counterparts. Um, But these are unique times and not just in Toronto, but across this country. And so we need somebody that understands that. But I will say, Greg, um, the thing that um, bothers me the most, and I will be completely honest about this, is people not voting. So I would, I would say, and thank you for giving me the microphone to say this. Yeah. Uh, that voter apathy is not a thing. Get out, whichever way you vote, whoever you vote for, just please vote and watch the campaigns closely, watch what people are saying, and cast 
a ballot on June 26th. So when you talk to people, neighbors, colleagues, do, do you do you understand why people are cynical about politics? I'm not. You're not. You're in the business. But I'd, I'd say I, I hear from people and, and they say it's at all three levels, don't they? They say I'm frustrated with every yeah. level of government. I'm sure they tell you that. Yeah. Oh, they do. And, and I get it. Right. Because I was I was on your side of the mic. I get it. We're completely cynical, which is why I thought I would never be here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, interviewing politicians was the thing that I liked least, frankly. And I liked it the least because there weren't always straight answers. And at a time such as this, people need to be listened to and there needs to be leadership with empathy and truth. And that is not a light that we're always painted in, frankly. So right now I find, you know, knocking at doors or taking calls from constituents and in Toronto Centre, of course, but even just sitting down with people, you know, from Saskatchewan to Alberta to Atlantic Canada, wherever I've been, it's, are people listening? Are people hearing us? And you know what, Greg? Yeah, Mm. we have. And that's reflected in the budget we just put forward. Like I point to things like 240,000 kids have now been able to go to the dentist. For some people, that might seem like a small thing, but it is a huge thing for parents and caregivers and those kids uh, in in this country. You know, it is about listening to people. And I, I think that that hasn't always happened uh, with regards to politicians. There's this idea that uh, people are being lied to. And so people want nothing to do with anything politics. But this is our city. This is our country. And we need people engaged. And so we have to do better. And it has to be about listening better and putting policy at that. Marcy Ian's our guest. I want to, I'm glad you mentioned um, dental care. Um, the NDP and Jugmeet Singh um, get a lot of credit for the deal, but I would say this, the Liberal government has pushed back on some other stuff the NDP has asked for. I really think 20 years from now, it's like how we evolve on issues like, uh, you know, things that just aren't on the table anymore. Gay marriage, capital punishment. We evolve as, as societies and we think differently than our, uh, our generations before us did. We're going to wonder 20 years from now, why dental care wasn't health care? Why something happening in your mouth with your teeth was somehow less important to be covered by a knee injury or a broken arm? I think we'll wonder that. And now we're getting we're getting more on the table where, where, where we should be. Oh, my gosh. Dental care is absolutely health care. I mean, I am not a dentist, but we know how many diseases, how many issues start in the mouth and lead to deadly things. That is a fact. But for 240 kids now... To, to benefit from this program, like by the end of the year, we're talking about seniors that are going to have dental care, people under 18 that are going to have dental care, people with disabilities that are going to have dental care by the end of 2023. That's huge. That, that, that's, that's huge. I've talked to seniors in my own writing, and I'm thinking of St. Jamestown in particular, who have foregone dental care because they can't afford it. Parents, sing, a lot of them single parents who have to choose. You know, am I going to be able to get my kids to the dentist or am I going to be able to keep the lights on? Like, these are the kinds of decisions that people make. So this is no small thing at all. And the fact Mm. of the matter is, you know, our government got it done and is getting it done. 
Marcy Ian's our guest. Um, there was criticism in the budget about not being enough there for first-time home buyers, not there being enough for people suffering from homelessness right now. I'd argue everybody's got to get in the same boat, municipal, provincial, federal government. They all got to be in the same boat on these big, big issues, especially in our city. What do you make of some of the some of some of the critics? Um, what and and what's in the budget to conquer those issues, housing and homelessness? Yeah, so that grocery rebate, and there's been a lot of talk about that grocery rebate uh, because it goes to to the GSC uh, tax credit. Is um, you know, I I think sometimes um, small things to some are big things to another, mm-hmm. and and I'll, and I'll tell you. Um, that rebate is, is going to mean something. You know, we're talking about eligible couples, right? Two kids, uh, just under 500 bucks. Canadians, single Canadians without kids, up to 234. Um, seniors, 225. And people may look at that sum in a very in, in privileged position. They say, ah, oh, that's nothing. Let me just tell you, uh, and I'm going back to my writing, uh, that's something. Uh, that is absolutely something. And with regards to housing, um, we've been we've been doing it. And we actually had an announcement just before the budget was released. And that accelerator fund uh, that Minister Hussein has been talking about, the Minister of Housing and Diversity and Inclusion, is really important because it does what you talked about, Greg, and it partners and involves municipalities and the province to get more houses built quicker. And that's really important. That quicker part is really important as well. Um, you know, the initiatives that have been announced in 2019 and 2021 uh, for housing continue. They, they, they weren't one-shot deals in 2019 and 2021. Right. Continue, and they continue to be rolled out. So the rapid housing initiative and other programs can continue. And now the accelerator fund. So there are a suite of things being done. Mm. And with regards to homelessness, within that housing, it's, it's transitional housing. It's housing for, for individual groups, such as women, such as 2SLGBTQ um, people, um, young people. There are pockets of things within that housing program. So there's a lot being done. It's just that so much Mm. more has to be done. And so we look at it sometimes and think absolutely nothing's being done. It is. It is. And now with this accelerator fund, it'll be done quicker. Marcy Ian's our guest on Toronto Today. A couple more quickies. Um, Two weeks ago, um, Justice Minister David Lametti said, the government's got to make it more difficult for some criminal offenders to get out on bail. I know you and every other liberal MP is hearing about this. I know as somebody that's got a lens of a, a big city MP, someone who's been in the media, what happened even Saturday at Keel Station with this terrible murder? It, 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 it's going to land harshly for everybody, but maybe it lands differently for you in Toronto than it does for someone in PEI, someone in Saskatchewan. I don't want to generalize, but how could it not? What are, you, what are you hearing? People are certainly telling, and there's David Lametti saying it, we do have to reexamine some things here. Yeah, you know what? There, there are a couple of things here. First and foremost, uh, the things that we've seen uh, on the transit system, I, I, I to say my heart is broken is an understatement. I've got a kid that goes to school in downtown Toronto. I can't even begin to imagine 
um, how parents feel, how family members feel. I've seen them in interviews um, with, with such grace and empathy talking about the loss of their kids uh, and their loved ones. And it is it, it, it's beyond heartbreaking. So first and foremost, um, to say that I feel their pain, I, 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 that doesn't even do it justice, but sending so much love to those families, it's unconscionable. I worry about my own daughter every day, and, and I can't even imagine I'm on the PCC all the time. Mm. Clearly, there are several issues, Greg. Um, mental health is a huge part of this equation. I will tell you that. And again, I'm not an expert on all of this, but I, I know what I see when I'm on the subway. Um, as far as Minister Lametti uh, and, and bail and bail reform, he recently had a meeting with provincial and territorial ministers, um, his counterparts. There was a communique attached to that. And this is something that has to be worked on together, together with provinces and territories. And it has been. And the work will continue. But there are so many different issues here. And again, I will, I will say mental health is a huge part of this. You know, recently, um, well, we had police um, that um, were on the transit system. There was a beefing up of, of police officers yeah. on the transit system. And I really do, in seeing that, feel that there needs to be a situation where we see mental health workers and others that may be along with police but included there. We need, a, in my opinion, a more holistic approach so that people um, can be addressed in the way they need to be addressed. There are so many mental health emergencies. Yeah. I've seen it obviously, on a daily basis, and I'm not saying that that's it, but to approach that in a way where we look at mental health workers yeah. and others I, that, that accompany police uh, would be I, helpful. Mitzi Hunter said basically the same thing yesterday. She was brilliant with us announcing her mayoral candidacy, and she and we talked about that as a hybrid approach, um, that there, of course there sometimes have to be armed officers, men and women, to protect us, And but, but there is an approach to utilize. And to your point about bail, like the premier seem on board, the police chief seem on board. I think your government can make it happen. And, and uh, I know you're hearing from constituents to, um, to push it. I hope we can, I'm so out of time and you know how these breaks work and you know that you get in trouble if you go late. So we got to go, but I I hope we'll talk very soon about all these issues and more Marcy. Thanks for being a voice on our show. Thank you so much for having me. Talk soon, okay? Have a great day. You bet. You too. And a great weekend. Marcy and uh, joining us on Toronto Today. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's News. Today's Talk. 640 Toronto. A quick text I want to read. Um, they, they responded to the one uh, woman saying she went to school, went to York University. Toronto was different then. Um, good morning, Greg. It's a heart-wrenching talk you're having right now. Once again, TTC means take the car. How very sad for Toronto. Uh, this talk you are having right now justifies us eliminating crime via incarceration. And there's so many issues. Again, I cannot I cannot pin this down as a municipal issue. Far from it. But uh, we have John Burnside to talk about city councilor or talk with city councilor for Ward 16, Don Valley East and TTC chair. John, I know it's been uh, it's been a heck of a week. How would you sum up what you're hearing from constituents and, and what what you hope we, we're in? We're in a moment in this city where. People are just still enraged and and saddened, that mix of that, since the news of that murder Saturday night. 
Well, absolutely, Greg. And I mean, it's it's unfortunate it had to had to come to this uh, point and 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 that particular tragedy. Um, but I think we've been kind of just going through the motions the last year mm-hmm. uh, as, as problems, well, actually more than that, but as problems have been building, uh, I think city council um, and, and to some extent, the citizens of Toronto have been kind of looking the other way and the problems just keep building. And of course, now it's time that everyone is saying we need to take action. The problem being there are very different opinions as to what that action looks like. Yeah. And I, I've said this. Um, I, I think there's a discussion to have with the provincial government about about what we do to, um, you, you know, with, with mental health. We can't just suddenly rebuild um, mental health institutions where there were some problems, but there was some good work done. And we can't just all of a sudden snap our fingers and the federal government will change what, uh, you know, bail and this concept of, of catch and release. Uh, I know that you probably hear from former colleagues that are police officers. I do on the show. And they'll tell me over and over again, we are teethless. We arrest the same people and stop them from disturbances day after day after day after day. And they and, and there's no end to it. Well, yeah. And in fact, the federal government, I believe, has made changes over the last few years uh, to make it more difficult to keep people incarcerated and to release for what they consider lower level offenses, but what offenses which are having a huge impact on the community. Yeah. Uh, this this money, the, the discussion yesterday, people have documented the $15 million. Do you anticipate the $15 million um, ends up going back? And, and you know, in, in essence, because I, I don't want to deem this as a negative, it may be the right thing to do. And there's a little bit of a course correction. And there are more officers back in TTC stations. What's your expectation for where that money goes to? Well, the $15 million was something the board uh, approved about a month ago, and that's really to give the uh, Rick Leary, the CEO, the ability to access money right away so that when there is a, a problem and we need uh, immediate action, whether that's more police or whether it was COVID-related, there are a whole myriad of issues that come up that he doesn't have to come to the board and then wait for it to get to council. So it, it, it just sort of fell in place that it's all it dovetailed, that it's all seems to be the same thing, but they're kind of unrelated. Uh, in terms of more police, uh, one of the big issues with that is 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 quite frankly they don't have the personnel. Uh, you know they've, they've we've we've cut them back so much that they don't have they. I mean they are doing a lot of on duty work, so I don't want people to think that they're not. They've actually made quite a few arrests. Uh, each of the sixteen divisions have a plan of how they can get their officers into the system on duty, and they and they and they are doing that. So I don't want people to think that police are all of a sudden disappeared. But these 80 officers that are doing uh, round-the-clock patrols, that's really hard to maintain. The police have been warning us about this for years, Greg. Yeah. Um, you know, that's overtime work. They're burnt out. There are a lot of events we have, road closures, you name it, Raptors, uh, Blue Jays, doesn't really matter. But they can't even keep up with that. So this is a problem that's been brewing for a long time, and uh, it's now coming to, uh, to a head. Are you worried about when you get a look um, at the at the demographics and the numbers? Are you worried that the the, the TTC numbers? We've already been worried. Some of that's about being back to work. Some of the about that's about economics. Rick Leary said it yesterday. He's hearing from a lot of parents nervous to send their kids out on on public transit. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, they're they're related, but they're also different. So, I think everyone has the has the right to feel safe in our city and especially while they're on public transit. So there's that issue. And the TTC, we need to do a better job of, of a reset, which is 
clearly articulating what the rules are. We're not a social service agency, so it's not meant for people to, as instead of a shelter. The city, the feds, and the province need to figure that out. Um, we also can't allow this le- the level of disorder where people just come on, they don't pay fares, people are, uh, there's open drug use, there's loitering. We need to sort of, as I say, get back to the basics on that level. So that's the job the TTC needs to do. However, when it comes to the other issues that you mentioned, the mental health issues and uh, the homelessness, we need, uh, we need our partners for that. So the, the reality is that some of these issues are a lot longer term and they're going to be a lot more difficult to deal with. The only people that can really ramp up and offer us a, an added layer of protection are the police. The problem is they're limited in that regard as well. What's been the MO now for fair inspectors? Are they told really tighten things up here? Really, t- We just got back to getting on fa- fines for fair evasion, I think, two weeks ago. What's the message to fair inspectors about how firm they need to be here? Well, I mean, the, the original message, and I, and I haven't had an update uh, in the last, uh, actually, two weeks, for the, to, be, to be frank, but the original message is to go after people. When I say go after, I mean... Uh, focus on people who mm. can afford to pay, uh, people such as ourselves. I'd like to take that a step further and say, um, now that we have warmer weather, it's a lot different when it's minus 20. I, I get that. But now that it's warmer weather, if, you, if you're not paying, let's, uh, and if you can't pay, and for what, you know, if you're just sort of loitering or, or whatever, the, or using the system for other purposes, then we need to get those people to help. And we have 20 streets to homes workers where we have a multidisciplinary outreach team uh, that's now, it's a pilot project that's coming on board. So we have a lot of other resources. So we can, we need to do that as well. It can't just be about uh, one group of people. It needs to be, let's focus on how we get order back into the system. That'll A, make people feel safer, which is obviously very important. And I'll also send a message Everyone else, anyone that wants to cause problems, there's now zero tolerance for doing things like shooting up at the entrance to Queen Street subway. John, I'm going to leave it there. Thanks so much. I think this is great for our listeners to hear um, that there's movement, that there. I think there is a sense of urgency, and I think you're right. It's a shame we got here, but maybe this is a moment we can, in, in a good way, in a proactive way, uh, move the ball forward. We just have to, and and uh, I think we're all in agreement. We got to find. We, we can this. We can agree about how we got to get to a certain place. It's just a matter of the parameters of how we do it. Absolutely. Thanks, Greg. Yeah. John Burnside, City Council for Ward 16, Don Valley's TTC Chair. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's News, Today's Talk. 640 Toronto. Um, I put two stories in. Sheba, tell me the one you like the most and read kind of the, the, the meat and potatoes of, of these radio pranks. The British one. Oh, you okay. British so tell people what happened with that one okay. if you can. So the Today program on BBC Radio 4 announced that the British national anthem was to be replaced by a Euro anthem sung in German. So the new anthem, which they they played it for their listeners, uh, and it extracted some of Beethoven's music, and it was sung by students of a German school in London. This is what they reported. Uh, and then what happened was Prince Charles's office actually telephoned Radio 4 to ask them for a copy of the new anthem. And this turned out to be an April Fool's prank. Uh, and then the palace later insisted that, no, 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 they were in on the prank and it was part of it. They were adding to the joke. <laughs> they had no idea. <laughs> they had no idea. I, you know, again, we wouldn't get lucky enough that it was Charles himself. This happened in 1999. Nobody would have the audio. Prince Charles isn't making that call himself, but Oh, what glory if he had. Yes. Yeah. But even still getting that call and knowing it went that far. <laughs> yeah. When you hear that, come on, a, ger- 
a German national anthem in England? There's no way that would never. But they they fell for it. You and I, he many, fell for it. You and I, and many listeners watched The Crown. This should have been a whole episode. Of course, <laughs> the burglar in the Queen's bedroom is a big deal, and of course, all the Charles and Diana and Camilla stuff's a big deal. But this. Uh, Ch- Charles actually picking up the phone. They could, they could, you know, take some exaggeration with the truth because the crown does a little bit of that. And the idea that he'd call Radio Four and ask for the new British, as if he wouldn't know there was a new British national anthem. Yeah. That's kind of the, one of the first people that would know. Well, maybe he was busy. Oh my goodness! <laughs> maybe yeah. he had his hands full. These people. <laughs> maybe his ears uh, tripped over. He tripped over his ears on the way to the phone. That could maybe. be it, also. Now, this other one I like. You tell me if you like this. Um, Allison St. John, a radio reporter for KPBS. So this is San Diego affiliate. This is NPR. They're taking Americans' tax dollars and doing this. But she warned that San Diego, lovely city, would be pelted by hail the size of duck eggs. Their metro traffic reporter... You trust the traffic, men and women. They're they're not going to fib. They followed up the announcement by warning all drivers must wear a helmet. I assume there'd be like a (laughs) ticket uh, in a a car. That's unbelievable. And people bought it in in San Diego. I've got to find the... uh, That's amazing. So there were drivers wearing helmets in their cars, in their vehicles. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Back Amazing. in the in 1992, as a matter of fact. So yeah, you wouldn't. It's pre Twitter and mostly pre internet for uh, for most people. Um, I liked one more, and it was the um, it was the toddlers and the tattoos. Oh yeah, DJs from North Dakota's Y94 in 2007 created a website called TattooYourToddler.com that claimed to represent <laughs> the first tattoo studio for kids with body art designed specifically for use age two through seventeen. Parents who wanted to tattoo their kid were promised our patented needle-free system only causes slight discomfort and ensures a vibrant tattoo guaranteed not to fade for at least 10 years. And and it worked. And so people were outraged. You know, they'd be more outraged now. Or the, would they believe it now better? I can't tell. It's 2023. I can't tell if people it's would be like... It's a different time. People would say, you know, it's it's fine. <laughs> This is how this child, this is what this child wants. To That's do. right. Be we are getting texts saying, Greg, you do realize today is not April 1st. Yes, we do realize this, but <laughs> we don't have a show tomorrow. So we're doing it today. Yeah, it's better. To, it's better that we don't start our own prank for fear. It goes very, very badly and uh, and upsets or, or throws people's mornings off. So we'd rather I'm looking at this. Um, oh, I can't I, I can't get uh, I won't get it, it to you in time to see it but it's a great like they really did a lot of work they made the website they put a mom on there they put some uh, holding a, her kid with a giant tattoo it looks like <laughs> big a big investment can you click on what i just what sent you and you'll see the, the 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 little girl's arms about a 5 6 year old girl and she's got what looks like a giant cat or something oh, on goodness. her arm how do you feel about tattoos really quickly i'm not a ta- no i don't have one so what I- if your kid gets one what if one of your boys comes home with one <sighs> You know, I hate okay, the size. Says it all. I hate the. Yeah, I hate the. It depends where and uh, <laughs> right on wh- the neck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you. You know. Uh, maybe. Maybe you won't be a, a, cra- a prosecuting attorney right. or uh, attorney general someday with a neck tattoo or says, one of those Mike Tyson faces. Says jobs. no regrets on it. 